Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, Hawks executive Arthur Trish. Do you not have privileges with the rookies? You can't make them take care of that? You think I'm going to tell Ivan Johnson something? Are you crazy? I value my life. With your host, Gallup Anderson. Stops it now behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball, Richard Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming. Do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip-off. Welcome, welcome to Hang Time Podcast, the uh, post-Jeremy Lin edition. Um, I'm, I'm already feeling like a hater it's before like we even get it kicked off. Yeah, it's like the decision. Part two. Part two. Uh, Lang Whitaker, my co-host in New York. Uh, did you wake up this morning and the, and the city was still in place? Yeah, I think it is. I think the city will go on, but... There are many strong opinions flying around New York City today <laughs> you about think? Jeremy Lin. <laughs> you think? I mean, uh, at the risk of being labeled the uh, the resident hater, as always. It's a little late for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a hard time justifying this outrage. I mean, it, God knows I loved Lin Sanity, and it Nothing could have been better for business last year at the Hangtime blog than than Lynn Sanity. Some right. of the best days of our lives, you know, in okay. every in every respect. But aren't we putting a little a little much on this idea that he's leaving and now the Knicks have crashed through the floor? I mean, they it's not like they won a championship with him, but it's not like the, he didn't play in the playoffs. I'll say this: that you know, I'm not a Knicks fan. I've lived here for 12 years though, but. I'm not a Knicks fan. I, I don't cheer for or against the Knicks, really. Right. Um, I watch them from afar, mostly, uh, even though I go to the games a lot. But but last year, when Lynn Sanity happened, was the most excited I've ever seen New York about the Knicks. Right. In 12 years. And by far. It wasn't even close. People were absolutely crazy about the Knicks. Right. Um, which never happens here. It never happens here. Um, so I think from that standpoint, they might not be losing – their best player, but they are losing the most popular guy on the team. Right. right. Um, and I think that explains a lot of all this uh, excitement and talk and everything. See, not being, not living in New York, I feel like we have this, it's that great divide of the people who live in New York who, you know, and they think everybody else around the world is watching New York and saying, oh, well, this is big in New York. Right. So it's big everywhere. And, and like I said, no doubt, Lynn Sandy was a huge story, but by the time the playoffs started and he was on you know and he was in street clothes right it was like it wasn't even a it was it was like the great memory from the season because it was so unexpected and such a huge thing but it it flamed and then it went out you know what i mean it it was done the thing that's sort of sad to me is that uh sorry lang uh the thing that's sad to me is like it was so organic. I mean, I think that was what was so great about Lynn Sandy when it happened is that it just came out of nowhere. No one expected it, and it was just this, you know, in today's sort of cynical, jaded sports world, it was something that felt pure, uh, not to get all, you know, mystical about it. But I think that that's kind of the sad part of all this to me is that it makes you remember that, oh, this is this is a business, and you got to make the best business decision. And Seku, it seems like you sort of think that this might maybe – wasn't the worst business decision for the Knicks to make, whereas I think a lot of people just feel like he was so great in the marketing opportunities and all that stuff, and that's what they harp on. Yeah, I'm, I I don't know that it. I'm saying I think the the jury is out on the you know on whether or not it was a great decision or even a good decision for the Knicks. We'll know. Both bas- basketball wise and business wise. 
Yeah, well, business-wise, I think it was clearly it wasn't the the best move for them. Right. Because if you've you got a guy the, who's, who's – you've got a built-in ticket seller. From the contract standpoint? Or no, 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 no. From popularity. just a strictly a popularity and people, you know, people being excited about the Knicks. Clearly, right. they lost some steam there. There's no doubt about that. But he, the Knicks sell out at Madison Square Garden. It's not like it was going to be empty if right. Jeremy Lin's not playing. I mean, they sell out anyway. Um, but my, my thing is – this is a great thing for Jeremy Lin, and then I don't want to, I don't want to diminish his accomplishments and take anything away from what he's done. This is great for him, good for Jeremy Lin, in a in an era when there's no way to shock the system. He he shocked the system, right? You know, so good for him, and I'm glad he cashed in. I'm just saying, some of the gloom and doom forecasts. I mean, this is like Y2K stuff. I was hearing last night, you know, like I I agree with you that the jury's still out on him as a basketball player because or as a superstar. Sure. Sure. You know, like because I mean, he look, he was he he was in a system that at the time with Mike D'Antoni coaching that that was perfect for him. He had a coach that overlooked like he he was making a lot of turnovers throughout all that. He did. He was getting to pretty much shoot as much as he wanted because everyone else was hurt at the time. Um, You know, it, it came against a lot of subpar teams when he had that run not counting the Lakers and some other stuff. But as so as a basketball player, you know, I, I think it's a little going over the top to say, you know, well, the Knicks are just letting go, you know, the next Michael Jordan here. But <laughs> as as a as a popularity referendum and as a as a you know, as a guy who kind of brought together Knicks fans for the first time in a long time, um, I think that's where a lot of Knicks fans are upset. See let not only seeing Lynn go but seeing the Knicks get nothing in return for him. Yeah, that 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 does make it tougher to to stomach I, I would imagine if you're a Knicks fan, but we'll talk some more. We'll we'll talk more Jeremy Lin here shortly. Speaking of crazy. Like what were you what were you thinking trying to watch and live blog every summer league game from Vegas last Friday? I mean, what Well, it was half Orlando half Vegas. Yeah, I mean, what do you what are you thinking? I got a call last week from um some people you know very well um, <laughs> who may or may not be listening. People in to this. high places <laughs> who may or may not be listening to this live at the moment. Um, <laughs> but uh, I got a call from from uh, some people at NBA.com, and they said, you know, on Friday, last Friday, NBA TV was showing eight games in a row: four from Orlando, four from Vegas, mm-hmm. uh, summer league games, and they wanted to try to have someone blog the entire thing and wanted to know if I'd be up for it. And perhaps rashly, I said, yes, immediately. <laughs> um, so last Friday I woke up at seven forty-five AM and sat on my couch until midnight. Classy. And, uh, and wrote. <laughs> just, American just to dream, clarify, baby. how much different is that than your normal day? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you at about, I didn't think it would be that tough, but by about two o'clock, I was itching to like just get out and go outside, do any, you know, walk the dog. I would have walked the dog an extra time just to get out of the apartment for a little bit. Starberry um, running around banging, banging the head against the wall nonstop. Get me out of this. <laughs> Starberry showed a lot of solidarity, actually. Yeah, she, no more summer league. Get me she, out of it. She sat on the couch with me and watched. I'll tell you this though, I, I got a pretty good taste of uh, summer league, and I saw a ton of guys play, right? Who I probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. Uh, I, I, it was actually. Uh, interesting. You know, it's funny though, as a basketball fan, because summer league, for the most part, every team is just going to run the same stuff, you know, right. They're not going to put in new offenses and all this stuff. So every team's just running like high pick and rolls and, you know, they don't do anything on defense except play man to man, like in the half court. Right. Uh, there's not a ton of uh, variety there. So from that standpoint though, it's kind of interesting because you can see who can play well in that sort of system. You yeah. know, uh, if, if, there's whatever six, 16 teams all playing the same sort of stuff. Uh, you, you can kind of see guys jump out at you a little bit. Um, except the only team that really, I think the uh, it was the Bobcats. They played like full court man to man the entire game. They looked great. Game. Yeah, they you did. Know, they looked awesome. Michael Kidd Gilchrist looked like. A, I mean, I was scared. I was like, man, the the summer league Bobcats could beat the regular season Bobcats. He looked great, and so did Jeff Taylor, that the rookie. Yeah, he got in the second round. I thought he was awesome too, but. Uh, I, I had a good time watching that. And there were some other guys like Deontay Christmas on the um, Celtics. Mm-hmm. Had had a, like a 20-point half. Um, Reggie Jackson on the Thunder just tomahawk dunked. Right. 
Um, so there's there's a lot of interesting stuff here and there throughout it. I, I mean, I, I read through uh, the live blog after the fact because I was I was flying from Vegas back to Atlanta with a with an old lady's toes cracked up in my face on my flight, <laughs> which. I hope she's not on uh, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and this stuff because I did take a picture of her toes. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> Show them to the world. <laughs> she was flying to Frankfurt, Germany, by the way, and she didn't speak much English. So I was thinking I, can, I might be able to get away with this without getting deported. Hey, we have we have fans in Frankfurt. <laughs> I mean, you know. But uh, but I, when I read back through it, I thought, man, this is the kind of marathon that requires lots of Red Bull and uh, Reese's peanut butter cups and, you know, cold pizza and just all sorts of foolishness to keep your energy up. What did you do in, in during the breaks to just stay alert and to not there were, know, no <laughs> there, there were no breaks. There were no breaks. The worst part was that I think it was like the third game. By the third game, they were they, they, they were running a little short. So like by the time the third game ended, it ended at like uh, it must have been noon. It ended at like maybe. 135 something like that so i right. think you know the next game was supposed to start at two so i was like oh this is great i got 20 minutes off so <laughs> i went in the kitchen and started making something to eat for lunch and i came back and they just started the fourth game already because because wow. it's summer league and they just do what they want so <laughs> <laughs> there was a little break between orlando and vegas on the switchover but for the most part there were no breaks i, I had a couple of cups of coffee during the day <laughs> um tried to eat some fruit and stuff to get some energy going but for the most part, uh, there were no breaks. It was just going. And I mean, if when you watch that much summer league ball in one day, do you do you look at a couple guys and write them write down their names? Like, all right, this dude may not be an NBA player right now, but I'm gonna keep an eye on this guy, try and follow him for later. Or are you focused really locked in more on? Kill Gilchrist and the lottery picks and the guys who you know are gonna be on some of these rosters? Well, I think there's guys like like um, Marty Junis. From mm-hmm. from yeah, uh, I liked him. I did like him. Houston, it. yeah, he looked great. But you know, that's a guy who I think he finished with like twenty five and nine or twenty five and yeah. ten game I watched. But that's a guy who you know maybe down the road he's going to become a, a a really good NBA player. But even if you get twenty five and ten in a in a summer league game, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a star in the NBA or even a role player. You know, there's guys. Yeah. Deontay Christmas sort whatever twenty points and a half for the Celtics and you know there's no guarantee he's going to be on the Celtics this season right. even um, so th- I think from that standpoint you don't look at any of these guys like they're going to be guaranteed breakout stars yeah um, but uh, I-, I just kind of watched it more for for like watching the Warriors play um, and you can see how uh, Harrison Barnes fits in with Clay Thompson mm-hmm. um, and they looked fantastic together. Um, there's stuff like that, I think. You see you see the way the Bobcats, um, who had a lot of guys who would be playing for the team, were hustling and playing as a team and, and you know, helping out defensively and stuff. And I thought – so from that standpoint, you can kind of see more more how guys play together as opposed to who's going to be the next, you know, surefire breakout Jeremy Lin. Right. Oh. So we're going to find our next Jeremy Lin in, in, in the summer league. We- well, you remember Jeremy Lin? What was it, two know, summers ago? I know. At yeah, the big he- game? Went at it with John Wall and had yeah. a big game. So, I, you know, I don't know if there's anyone who's for sure going to be the next star in the NBA that I saw. But I saw a lot of guys who were, were really interesting to watch. Bradley Beal looked really good right? Uh, for the Wizards. Marshawn Brooks went crazy. He scored 34 points. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I, I had a good time, though. I don't know if I'd do it again. What? But it, it was fun. <laughs> you do know that the people that asked you to – to do this might be listening. They just heard you say you don't know if you do it again. <laughs> well, let's yeah, talk money. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, money, and uh, this, you talk about a guy who's been money on the uh, rumor, rumor train since what December? Yeah, Dwight Howard uh, is still a member of the Orlando Magic technically, so that means Jeremy Lin has found a new home. Um, you know, basically every other. NBA player and their mother has found a new home and Dwight Howard is still a member of the Orlando Magic. Our, our next guest is on uh, the Hangtime Podcast. Now, we've been meaning to get him on here forever. Jared Rudolph, uh, Lang, you might have played ball against him before. He's one of those he's one of those media ballers who likes to show out and, and remind us all that he actually played on his high school team while the rest of us maybe 
sat on the bench or didn't make it. Um, but he's joining us now from Orlando here on the Hangtime Podcast. Jerry, what's up, sir? Stay cool. Lane Whitaker, pleasure to be here with you guys. Let me let me correct you. Cool, I never played high school. Boy, I, skipped, <laughs> I skipped high school, went right to college. <laughs> we don't mess around. I should have known that. I should have known that, man. What's going on? How you doing? I'm feeling good, man. Happy to be on with you guys, man. I'm feeling great. Yeah, you uh, you you don't have it. You want to break any Dwight Howard news with us, do you? They still looking for places to try back. <laughs> I mean, this... keep it. Keeping the Brooklyn hope alive, man. Listen, you got to give the kid credit for persistence. <laughs> how, how long how long has the Brooklyn situation been on his mind? Because I heard last, when I was in London last year, the Nets were over there playing the Raptors, and Darren Williams had just shown up on that Nets roster after the trade. Um, and I had somebody tell me while I was there, they were like, hey, Dwight and Darren want to play together, and it's going to be – you know, with the Nets, and I'm telling you this is going to happen, blah, blah, blah. This was before anybody else was even talking about it. I came back from London and mentioned it to John Schumann. NBA.com's John Schumann's based out of New Jersey, and John was like, that, he was like, that's not crazy to me. He said, that doesn't sound crazy. It sounded crazy to me at the time, Jerry. How long has this thing been in the works? Well, it, he and Darren have wanted to play together for a while, mm-hmm. okay? But it wasn't necessarily in um, in Brooklyn. I think what happened, and I'm not sure if you remember the day that Billy King like found Darren when you know reportedly they were looking for Karolinko. And uh, I'll never forget the day because I broke the news to Dwight that mm-hmm. he didn't know that Darren had got traded, and it was around the time that Mello was the story. Everybody was trying right. to get Mello. You know, uh, Otis Smith was trying to get Mello. Denver wasn't working with him. You know, Dwight kind of was geared around Mello coming and thinking that they had a chance to get Mello. And I go to Dwight and I say, uh, so what do you think about the Darren trade? And he's like, Darren who? I'm like, Darren Williams. He got traded? I'm like, yeah. He was like, where? I'm like, to the Nets. And he's like, for what? I'm like, essentially a bag of chips and a quarter water. <laughs> and Dwight, his face is dropped. And, he, and, you know, the thought was, wow, another one gets away from us. Like another superstar is getting traded for nothing, and we're not involved. So I think the wheels start going there. But in terms of Brooklyn, Dwight wasn't about Brooklyn in the summertime when he really when he really started to think about leaving Orlando. It was all about L.A. Yeah, it was about L.A. It was about playing with Kobe. He felt like Kobe was the best in the world. Yeah, and Kobe could teach him to be the best in the world. And it, he was all about L.A. And then it changed. It's one day out of the blue, it changed. Because I asked him about Brooklyn. And he was like, he didn't know whether the building was going to be finished. And he just didn't know. And between, you know, L.A. And this was before the stuff came out about Kobe wanting him to be Tyson Chandler. <laughs> All of a sudden, one day out of the blue, it was Brooklyn. I mean, not the Knicks. It, it, was, it was just Brooklyn. Brooklyn, mm. Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Everything was Brooklyn. And, I mean, this guy is fixated. On Brooklyn. Wow. Is there, you know, Jared, it, it's been Brooklyn, 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 except for that one stretch of a couple of days where it was Orlando right after, <laughs> right around the trade deadline. Uh, is there any chance it, it switches again from Brooklyn or, you know, maybe is there any chance it stays Orlando? Well, so long as the belief is there is a chance for him to get to Brooklyn, it will not switch. Right. So if, if someone is telling him, Look, if we can get you here, if we go. It's like flying standby, you know, rerouting your flights and everything. Right. It, you know, so long as they keep telling him they can reroute his flight to Brooklyn, it's going to be Brooklyn. Now, when he knows for a fact that he can't stay in Brooklyn, then I think L.A. becomes a serious contender. But the team that really, really is intriguing in all this is the Hawks. Hmm. And yes, I, I don't, I don't put them out of the, the conversation. Right now, they're not going to be in the conversation because you're, you're talking about potential trades. But this is going to get to a point where if Dwight doesn't get what he wants, I believe he will walk to a team that he thinks that uh, can give him something similar to the allure he was going to get in Brooklyn. Mm. You know, but he's thinking about LA, and you know, he's having more thoughts about LA. Right. And, you know, who knows? Maybe you know, with the whole New York, 
you know, thing and, and how he felt like playing in that particular city would help him. Maybe the Knicks come back into it, but whatever the situation is, he knows that this this Brooklyn thing, it, it, you have to have some type of plan in place because it gets uh, almost impossible for him to get there if he doesn't get there by the trade deadline. Right. Real GM columnist Jared and Rudolph join us here on the Hang Time Comp podcast. Uh, Jared, the the other part about this that's really strange to me is that we've heard so much from other people about what Dwight wants or what Dwight wants to do or what Dwight thinks. Why has he been so reluctant, do you think, to come out and just clear the air himself? I mean, why not Why not set the record straight and then let this thing play out? Because when he has, he's typically said the wrong thing mm-hmm. and made the situation worse for himself. I mean, this is where this – you can't flip-flop if you don't put on the first flip, right? <laughs> so he's he's giving you the first flip. And then he goes to another city, he's giving you a flop. You know, he's going to Milwaukee when Jason Richardson has eight threes in the game saying, I want to be the closer. It, it, he just did not say the right things this year. And a big part of this was was walking away. Look, Dwight was really, really affected by that situation with Stan Van Gundy. It was the most awkward interview in the history of NBA, maybe the history <laughs> of pro sports. And that that affected this guy. I mean, He's changed as a person because of it. The way he trusts people, the way he communicates with people, mm. that changed him. So he feels like taking a step back and not contributing to this will, will, will help him. Now, I'll give you two examples of why that's wrong. One, because there's already this assumption that Dan Fagan and his manager, Kevin Samples, are making all the decisions for Dwight anyway. And for him not coming out and saying anything, that that whole belief it, it just it just intensifies. Right. The second is I I don't know if he really truly has removed the emotion from everything yet. So you don't want to say the wrong thing. I, and I, I he did an interview with uh, Wojnarowski, mm-hmm. and that interview didn't help him. Like if anything, it hurt him because that's when he he came out when they were saying that you know he believed he was blackmailed or whatever. That whole interview hurt him more. He gave no insight into what he was thinking, into where he wanted to go, into why he wanted to go there. Nothing. Just said, I'll sign with one team and the Magic know that. If you're not going to help yourself, it's best to just be quiet. Now, where Dwight is mistaken is that he believes, or he assumes, that because people know him or have known an image of him, that he's going to get the benefit of the doubt. But when the overwhelming sentiment is that you are holding a, a franchise hostage and you're not defending yourself, then, you know, you're going to get what Dwight's get. And, and that's his his uh, image is just being torn to shreds. Well, what, well I got one other question yeah. real quick. And, and the one thing we that I also thought was interesting is in, in the middle of all this and, uh, you know, all the talk about his future, what team he's going to be with, this is a guy who had back surgery and, and, you know, right now he's rehabbing from the surgery and he hasn't come back yet, but um, there hasn't been a lot of talk about the back surgery and how that's affected him or, or if it will affect him long-term and just wondering, Jared, if you've heard anything about that or, or how his recovery is going from, from that. Well, as far as I know, when I speak to him, he's working on his rehab and he's doing all right. I mean, he, right. he can't run yet. Um, but I think that, you know, I, and I may be wrong here because we were supposed to do some walking together, but, you know, he ended up staying in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he can run yet, but I think Dwight's definition of run, I think when Dwight says he can't run, I think that's NBA run. Right, I think right. Dwight probably would be able to jog. But, um, look, the doctor who he went to was the best in the world. They caught it at the right time because – you know, depending on who you ask, the Magic missed it, or they tried to sell him on it being something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, herniation, um, from what I understand, was the largest the doctor has ever seen, but then Dwight is a large man. But he's expected to make a full recovery. And, you know, one thing about this injury is that it scared Dwight because he, he's had a charmed existence in the league with injuries, you know, minor things, but nothing that required any surgery. So 
he's taking his rehab and he's taking the instruction of his doctors very serious. And I think that he, he lost trust in the Orlando Magic's doctor because they're telling him, listen, you can play with it, you can rehab through it. But, you know, he wakes up one day and, you know, the, the feeling in his, his leg is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So he has a second opinion. And God tells him, you need surgery, you need surgery now. But he'll be okay. I, I, don't, I don't think that this is a Larry Johnson thing. Right, right. I think Dwight's young enough. I think he's going through rehab. I think the technology involved in medicine has changed. Yes, it is the back. You don't want to play with the back, but you can overcome any injury if you go about rehabbing it the right way, and, and that's all he's focused on. That's one thing that's 100% true. He is focused on his rehab like nothing he's ever been focused on before mm-hmm. in his life. Jared, I have a question for you. This is Micah. You're talking about sort of the uh, the physical aspect of it. What do you think about the, the emotional aspect of it? And and I'll ask all of you guys this. LeBron made the decision. He became public enemy number one. He got his title this year. I feel like there was seemed to be some people that were kind of like, all right, it's time to let bygones be bygones with that. Is Dwight getting, if he leaves Orlando, is he getting ready to sort of assume that mantle as public enemy number one? And, and if he if that does happen, how do you think that will affect him? Well, he's already assumed the mantle of public uh, enemy number one. And in many minds, he has uh, assumed the uh, undisputed title of public imbecile number one. And I don't think he's either. Um, to answer the question with, with a wide lens, if you will, I don't think the LeBron James and Dwight Howard situation are quite the same because, first, uh, Dwight is not as great a player or as big an icon as LeBron James. Two, there are so many different things that work this way into the LeBron James decision. Um, you know, we don't have all the time for me to get into it, but just look like this. LeBron James was King James, and a lot of that King James royalty was something that was uh, bestowed upon him by the media that helped craft this image. But when LeBron James decided that he was going to be king the way he saw fit, that's when everyone flipped on him. LeBron took another job. Didn't like the way he did it, but everyone would make the same decision, and he got his title, so it paid off. Here's the thing. LeBron toyed with people, but he never told Cleveland he was staying and then left. He went about it as a businessman. He took his trips. He made the best decision for him. The problem is Dwight opted in. Yeah. And when you opt in and you say you're too loyal, then at the end of the year you want out when an organization has fired the coach, fired the GM. That's a problem because now fans are asking, well, you told us you're too loyal. You didn't want to play for Stan. He's not here. The organization, from a public standpoint, has done their part of this. Why aren't you giving them that year that you said you were going to give them? Mm-hmm. That, and that's the problem that Dwight is running into. That's why he's public enemy and public imbecile, because people think that you know, he's letting someone else run him, which is dumb, or he's just a liar. And for him not coming out and saying anything, and I'm not sure if there's anything he could say to change that right now, it's all going into this image. So... Again, the image that Dwight Howard had, the one that was crafted with Aaron Goodwin, was the good guy. The guy that goes to church on Sunday, the guy that smiles a lot and may may not be serious enough on the court. Now you have an entirely different Dwight Howard that's being put out there, and people don't recognize this kid. And when people don't recognize him, they're going to make the assumption that comes close to whatever they believe. So what they see now is a guy that's just trying to get what he wants, is lying and doing whatever he's doing while holding an organization hostage because he wants to go to Brooklyn. And that's all people see. They don't care about what's going on behind the scenes. They don't care about what Dwight Howard has done. And say, cool, you said it yourself. Eight years of work in the community, of great basketball, of goodwill can be destroyed in ten minutes of bad decisions. That's right. And this is what Dwight Howard is learning through all of this. Jared, I have to ask, too, you know, and I know a lot of people think they're dialed into this Dwight situation. You, of course, have been locked in, to me, longer than most and and better than the rest. What ultimately do you think led to all of this division between Dwight and the Magic as an organization? Because for years we heard it was, you know, he and Stan had a rocky relationship or he didn't like, you know, this, that, or the other. I've And I'll tell you what I've heard, guys, and this is a story I heard in the locker room a few years ago. You remember back when Dwight was at the, the Magic Route on the West Coast and Dwight got frustrated in the locker room, I heard, and, you know, it was when they before they made the trade 
they kind of blew the team up, you know, and they traded Vince and and sent some pieces in other directions to retool, and then they end up getting Gilbert and all that stuff. I heard that there was a point in time where Dwight looked up and realized, I'm not playing with guys who I can win a championship with. And I don't, you know, I never see people really talk about that. They always just talk about this kind of vague, you know, disgruntled attitude between he and, and Stan Van Gundy. And I'm wondering, Jared, was there something along the line, the timeline you can recall, where Dwight and the organization got on the wrong side of each other about the makeup of the team in Orlando and maybe that's what led to him ultimately wanting to get out of town. Um, I, I can give you that story, but l- let's, let's address Stan Van Gundy thing first because it, it did come into play. And Dwight and I disagree on this. You know, he holds Stan accountable for certain things. Mm-hmm. I believe it's Otis Smith's fault. Dwight wants to be developed. Like, this is a guy that wants to be coached. He wants to be great. Mm-hmm. And he wants the ball, not necessarily to take the shot, but to make the decision late, whoever. And he wants he wants team he wants his team to take a chance on him. Okay, maybe I make the free throws, maybe I don't, but I'm still a franchise player. You got to come to me because I'm shooting it at sixty percent. The problem was the pieces that were around Dwight didn't allow for Dwight to develop in the manner that he wanted to. You can't go straight post up to Dwight late in the game because he has not one other person on the team that can create his own shot. You guys see Dwight does a lot of high screening roles, which takes him out of position for offensive rebounding purposes. But also, if I have to free up Jameer Nelson to get a clean look at the basket, if I have to free up J.J. Redick and Ryan Anderson, then I'm not going to get the ball unless the you know the roll. Excuse me, unless the guy with the ball hits me as I'm rolling to the basket, and the Magic don't have great passes. But I think Dwight was patient with those guys. He just wanted them to come more to him. It feeling like if you come more to me, we'll open it up more. But Stan couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where the division between he and Stan came in. I, I think that if you got a guy that can create his own shot, he and Stan would have been fine because Stan could have done more, and Dwight would have been able to see how great a coach Stan was. It was never a personal thing with he and Stan until Stan put him out there. Mm-hmm. It was always a feeling that Stan has maxed his potential on this team, and maybe we need to go in a different direction. And a lot of people felt like that. Mm-hmm. But, again, I think a lot of that was on Otis. In terms of his relationship with the Magic, look, it's, it's very simple. Time after time after time, they've told this kid they were going to do things, they were going to help him in areas, and they just haven't. Mm. And it's always been at a time when Dwight was feeling vulnerable. Now, this is not breaking news, but I, I can give you a little insight. Last year, after the summer, excuse me, after the um, loss to the Hawks, mm-hmm. Dwight's upset, uh, you know, he feels like there needs to be some things that are reviewed within the organization. Mm-hmm. A couple of days after, he has a meeting with Otis Smith. Otis asks him how he feels. He expresses how he feels. Look, you know, maybe we need a different voice. You know, we need a few different pieces here and there. I like the team. I love these guys, but we, we need more. Otis agrees with him 100% and then tries to get him to sign the contract. But Dwight wasn't there for that. So at that point, he's like, man, all these guys care about it's just getting me to sign on the dotted line. They're not listening to anything I'm saying. But Otis told Dwight he was going to take everything back up top. A couple of weeks later, Dwight gets a call. Um, they're going to bring him out to Michigan. Mm-hmm. They put him on the private jet. This guy has cookies, everything, you know, <laughs> D12 and the cookies. I mean, it's plush. They bring him to the mansion in Michigan. They tell him, what do you want? You know, what are we going to do? You know, we want to help you on the court. We want to help you off the court. We want to help you achieve all your dreams. And Dwight's listening to him, and he's buying it. Mm-hmm. He's buying it. Like, well, if you guys are going to help me, then I want to be here. I don't want to be anyplace else. And Dwight was ready to commit. Mm-hmm. Two weeks goes past. He doesn't hear from anybody. They don't call him. They don't call him about personnel decisions, nothing. Now, Steven Jackson was the name that was talked about. Mm-hmm. Finally, Dwight hears from these guys on draft night. They call him in. They said, we want you to come in for a meeting. And he's like, okay. He didn't know what was going on. He called me, asked me if I heard any trade rumors. I'm like, nah. I mean, of course, they could always move you to the Lakers, but, you know, I haven't heard anything. So he goes in, and they tell him they're not doing anything. We're going to stand by stand. He's going to go speak with someone about the negativity. Um, Steven Jackson, they weren't, they weren't looking to move Steven Jackson. The same night, Steven Jackson gets traded. So now Dwight's like, okay. Mm-hmm. You guys are telling me anything I want to hear just to hold me off, and then you're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. You tell me Steven Jackson's not on the trading block, he gets traded the same night. 
and you know we need to do stuff in terms of players because a lockout is coming, and you're not doing it. Now we can't speak to each other until this lockout is over. You guys aren't serious about winning. You're serious about making money, and that's where the comments come along when Dwight said that they're just about making money. They don't care about me. They don't care about any of these players. It's the constant talks of what we're going to do and how much we value. How much? Like, So they want to sign him to stay long-term, so they fly him in on a private plane, had a Dwight Howard cookies, everything like that. He wants to get a second opinion on his back. They give him a first-class uh, ticket on AirTran. Mm-hmm. This is why Dwight Howard doesn't want to be in Orlando anymore. Right. This is why he's so disenchanted with the organization. He can't trust them. And then, excuse me, Rob Hennigan is in the, the, the Babs list because he has nothing to do with any of this. Right. He very well might have someone bake up Dwight Howard cookies and everything else, but he'll never get the chance to show it because everyone else in the organization has messed this thing up so bad that Dwight doesn't trust them to tell him what time it is, let alone do what they say they're going to do. Jared, before uh, before we send Seku out to make you some hang time podcast cookies. I'm getting cookie. I want some cookies now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Banana, banana, um, made me banana nut muffin. <laughs> last, thing, last thing before we let you go is uh, training camp's not that far away. Where, where do you think Dwight Howard opens up training camp this fall? That's tough to say, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to say eventually he gets to, to L.A. Um, the, the people of L.A. are doing a, a sales job on Dwight. Not, not the organization, the fans. Last night he's at a Dodgers game. They show him on the big screen. Goes crazy. Goes crazy. Not one boo. Yeah. Now, remember, this is a guy that's being ridiculed in most places. He's in L.A. with news that he don't want to really come there, and these fans get on their feet, standing up. He heard that. He felt that. And he knows that they have a chance to be all right. But make no mistake about it, Dwight Howard wants to be in Brooklyn. And he is looking for the best route to Brooklyn. I don't think he'll go through Orlando to do it because he doesn't think that they can do it. But the team that he is going to to point to when all this stuff, whether it's Houston or L.A., is the team that is most willing to take Brooke Lopez in the sign and trade or to take Brooke Lopez at a trade at the deadline. That's who he's looking to go to. And it's tough because right now where, where he's at, I don't think he – I really believe that he's not signing with L.A. I don't believe that he'll sign – I know he's not going to sign with Houston because they can't do anything. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a tough position to be in. The only way he ends up in Orlando is if L.A. says, well, he's not going to commit. We're, we're pulling out. And, and that's exactly what they should do. But doing that may be his best bet. Because then you kind of force the Magic to trade you to Brooklyn. You just got to come in and you got to play for a little bit longer. And I'm sure they don't mind that at all because, you know, from what I understand, the belief is they never went into negotiations with Brooklyn with a real intent on trading Dwight anyway. They wanted to keep him. And, you know, I reported that that they were going to suspend trade talks to look for a coach. Now we're hearing Lindsey Hunter and Jacques Vaughn. Like, all this stuff is coming to fruition. And they knew they needed to get Dwight to Brooklyn if they were going to trade him before the 11th, and they didn't. So you, it's, it's hard to say where Dwight's going to be without knowing what the Magic's true intentions for him are, and I don't believe they really, really want to trade this kid. So we're going to have to wait and see. Jared Rudolph, Real GM, the man. Thank you for coming on and giving us a lot to chew on there, man. That's a lot different story than what you hear uh, anywhere else, man. So we appreciate you bringing it on and, and letting us hear that on the Hangtime Podcast. I appreciate you. All right. Thanks, Jared. Jared Rudolph, folks, from Real GM. That's some, Micah, I know I know it breaks your heart to hear <laughs> that a city – you too, Lang. It a, just makes me so sad to think <laughs> about that because, like, I, this, is, this has been my feeling all along, uh, and I'll just say this, Dwight, if you're listening. He, he should come to Atlanta, and I'm not, I'm not just saying that as a Hawks fan, although I clearly am saying that as a Hawks fan, but, like, he is going to be public enemy number one, you know, like Jared said, if he's not already – Atlanta is the one city that will have his back unconditionally. Most of the Hawks fans, most of the fans of Atlanta, they don't even know what's going on. I'll never forget this. A couple years ago, uh, when I still worked for the team, the uh, <laughs> the highest grossing game that they sold that year was a was a Cleveland game. It was LeBron's last year there. Before uh, it was like right at the end of the season, like the last night of the season, LeBron didn't even play. And everybody that follows basketball knew he wasn't going to play that game. It was the last game of the season. And that was still their best-selling ticket game of the year 
because fans see Cleveland. They know LeBron plays for Cleveland, so they came. This city would is dying for a superstar, and Dwight coming here would be – I mean, he would have that love and support that he is seems to me to be craving so badly and missing, and it seems like he's going to be missing, you know, <laughs> for for a while, given the way everything's played out. So to I me, just, to me, the one thing that works against Atlanta in a Dwight Howard scenario is that Atlanta is not Los Angeles or New York City, and he seems to want, <clears throat> excuse me, to be in a place with a bigger spotlight, and to have the opportunity to be in a place with that kind of big, you know, Clegg light, the huge like superstars go to these places. And Atlanta is not that. Atlanta is home for him. And, you know, there's something to be said for going home, to going to the place where you came up and, um, you know. But I, I Do you think that Atlanta is – I mean, it's not L.A., it's not New York, clearly. But do you think that Atlanta is, is capable of being that for the – I mean, it, I feel like it was that for Michael Vick. I don't know. Mm. Was it? I mean, I mean, Philadelphia is, uh, you know – up in the, the the northeast where all the media is you know we have this huge bias here in the northeast if you talk to seku <laughs> for certain players but <laughs> i don't know you know atlanta is i think you can be big in atlanta definitely but is it like you know i mean look the the, the braves went to won 14 consecutive divisions but they still never were the yankees you know what i mean they were still never that i'm, I'm not even talking about from a winning standpoint i'm just talking about from a publicity standpoint um you know as big as you can be in Atlanta, you can be bigger in New York or Los Angeles. See, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think in this, in this digital social media, social media driven age, people forget Dwight was the leading vote getter amongst all All Stars last year. In global voting, you know, galactic voting for the All Star game, you right. can you can vote for an All Star on Pluto now. I mean, and Dwight had the most votes, and he was in Orlando. LeBron was no bigger a star the last two years in Miami than he was in Cleveland. I mean, he was he was huge. So right. I, I think it's hard to – I understand. I agree with you. I think there's never going to be as many newspapers or television cameras in your face anywhere other than New York first and foremost. Right. And maybe L.A. second. But the attention that a guy can, can draw – in this day and age, goes beyond just how many daily newspapers or TV stations or whatever are sticking microphones in your face. I think, you know, I agree with you. I think Dwight has in, in his mind, and we're all guessing, other than Jared, who I know, listen, the reason, one of the, I'm, uh, full disclosure, one of the reasons we had Jared on here, in addition to him being hilarious and, and very well informed and, and, a, and, a, and a damn good reporter, is that he knows Dwight, He's he's formed a relationship with Dwight, probably as close as anyone else in the media has. Right. So when he's when he's talking about what Dwight thinks or what's on Dwight's mind, it's he's getting he's telling you this based on, you know, direct conversations with Dwight. I think it's pretty clear that Dwight has made his mind up about playing in Brooklyn, more so because Darren Williams is there than it is about Brooklyn being in New York. I think if if the roles were reversed and Darren Williams was trying to get to Orlando, Dwight Howard would be fine playing in Orlando if he knew Darren Williams was coming. That's that's just what I think. Or whether it be Orlando or anywhere else, I'm saying I think this is more about him wanting to play with another great player and potentially more now to win a championship than it is anything else. So, and that, that again, that's just what it sounds like to me. And Dwight is just, think about it now. Dwight is like the He's the he's the second story on on the books this week. <laughs> you know, we started talking about Jeremy Lin because this is the day after the, the midnight deadline passed, and uh, uh, and so now on to talk a little bit about Jeremy Lin and the Knicks with us is uh, the editor emeritus, I think it is, of Deadspin.com and a contributing editor at New York Magazine, Will Leach. Will, how are you, man? Uh, thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been a, it's been a wacky uh, seventy two hours in Knicks land, but I guess they all are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. It's not that much different than the craziness yeah. that's been around for the last decade, is it? Honestly, like, like it's it's. I, it must be so nice to like follow just a t- just normal teams that like have like they have like five hundred seasons and nobody really talks about it. And it's no big deal, <laughs> and everyone moves on with their day. And uh, but yeah, so it's 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 been quite a bit going on. I, I you would think they want it this way. Maybe they do. Maybe this is. Yeah, I, I don't understand, but this is the way the Knicks are. Well. 
I've been kind of the contrarian on the show here today about Jeremy Lin, and uh, maybe I'm looking at it through basketball color glasses instead of global glasses or big picture glasses. But is this really the worst thing that, in the world, not having Jeremy Lin in a Knicks uniform? I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I don't think the Knicks are, are suddenly going to collapse next year or anything like that. It's, it's for me. It's it's. And I think for a lot of Knicks fans, it's more uh, as a lot of its principle. It certainly is very. Very strange time for Jim Dolan to suddenly be financially responsible, to say the least. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of the things we're doing for the magazine this week is we're actually, we got together with the basketball prospectus guys and we're, and, uh, and figure out, like, just, like, the 15 most highest, but most overpaid Knicks, statistically speaking, of the Dolan era. Oh. And, like, I don't think, like, like I hope we, Curry even makes it. Like, it's really <laughs> crazy. So, like, you know, it, it's very strange to think that this, you know, is is the time that they decided to kind of uh, uh, tighten the belt in a lot of ways, and it, may, it makes you wonder if that's not really kind of what's happening. So, certainly, you know, the, you, a lot of ways, it's 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 several things. I think a lot of Knicks fans are frustrated about. A, it's the idea that just in a, in a basketball sense, you you now have like you have this is the, your one non-injured young player. This is the one <laughs> th- chance that you have. To actually grow and improve, you know, like like you, you, they brought a lot of veteran guys who are not going to get better over the next two or three years. It seems strange that so much of this was set up, but you know, you know, you guys know how how how, it's, how it works with the, with the cap and everything. The it's so hard to bring in outside talent if you're over the cap that you which they which the Knicks of course gloriously are uh, <laughs> that that you you have to hang on like like that like. It was a celebration when they won the bird rights on on, right. on Novak. Like it was, they couldn't believe how lucky they were. No one thought they were going to have a chance. They can't believe. It. And people are announcing that like well, they'll match up for, for we'll match up to a billion. And you know, and, and Woodson was openly talking about Lynn being his point guard like five days ago. So, and it's strange to think that when so much of it seems to be building into this three-year window. This kind of like this odd notion that the Knicks already have that like oh no 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 this is our championship time like the, the next three years clearly this is our window uh, which I I think is is probably something that's thought at the Garden and maybe not a lot of other places but whatever <laughs> they have all this talent they're going all in for the next three years more power to them they're not really going to be able to add anything they're trading away draft picks they 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 the only real chance they have to add any more talent is to actually find another jeremy lynn (laughs) that kind of lands out of nowhere so it's certainly very strange that now would be the time where they'd be like no uh uh, you can't get rid of talent that you have and certainly i don't think the knicks are like appreciably worse like i think that like i think lynn is is still i first I, i think lynn is Better than the point guards the Knicks have on their roster right now. I, I do. I do actually believe. I think statistics have showed that uh, Felton was Felton basically has had like three good bumps in the last three years, all of which were in New York. <laughs> so we're all remembering that. But uh, but you know, and and kid. I mean, listen, kid's a good player, but you know, it's not. So the team's not going to be terrible. But it's certainly strange, particularly when you add in when we talk about off court stuff. A lot of that, a lot of times people think that fans are talking about jersey sales and uh, as if like like yeah come on with the alpha course stuff he'll pay for himself as if like dolan doesn't have tons of other ways to pay for everything else yeah it, this, this the thing that's strange about it is you know they like the, the thing the thing that's nice about lynn is the dolan has kind of had the like it's been terrible to be a nick fan for the last 12 years it's been terrible <laughs> And all of a sudden, out of like even the good stuff has been bad. Like even like even the talented like even, like it's it, like you've had all these overpaid guys and all and all, and all this mess there. Yeah, and and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, one of my arguments that one of the reasons that insanity was so big at the Garden. I did an interview with Spike Leak, Spike 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 Leak, Spike Lee, uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, for the magazine, uh-huh. where he said that the la- that that's the loudest he had ever seen the Garden was during insanity. Wow. And I figure he would know that as well as anyone does. He actually, and so I think the reason it was so loud, because it was organic. It was not something, it was totally unrelated to Jim Dolan. 
Right. <laughs> Everybody else involved in the team. So, so I think that's what people embrace. The Knicks have just not had, even when they have been okay the last couple of years, they never had, in the last 10 years had this all of a sudden guy that was just theirs. And they watched this happen. So to see the Knicks kind of not value that is pretty bewildering, particularly when they really they didn't have to give up any players. They didn't have to even cut anybody. They didn't have to trade. They didn't have to give. They literally just had to pay the salary cap for the tax in three years, maybe. Or if if it's the last year of Lynn's contract, that's a very tradable asset. So right. it's pretty bewildering to say the least. You know the the thing to me that that's kind of interesting about this is last night on on Twitter, and you know Twitter is now where all narratives develop. <laughs> but on, there there's two sort of competing sort of theories here one being that this is about money and this the, the knicks didn't want to pay that last year on the contract it's a huge it's going to be a huge tax hit down the road and all this stuff or maybe it's about respect maybe the knicks didn't like him going out and getting such a big deal even though they, they told him to do that um so what's kind of the sense you get from that well is this is this all of a sudden the time when dolan decided to be fiscally responsible or is there something else here below the surface maybe that's not just about money. Yeah, I, I think I think it's really the latter because honestly, like like even basketball, that's the thing. Even with the with, with the tax hit that they would have to take in three years, they can trade some of these guys. Like it's yeah. not like they can't make the numbers go lower, and they you know they could actually put maybe trade some of those guys that will be fifty three in three years. Like maybe those <laughs> are the, 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 the contracts are expiring. You know, the, the, those will be handy assets. I don't know if Dolan knows that knows that, but I'm sure Grunwald knows that. Yeah, and you know, and one of the things that was kind of nice before this Lynn thing, I actually really don't feel that Grunwald did a terrible job of adding pieces to a maxed out contract, to a maxed out roster. Like, I, I, I think that getting Kid was a nice move. I think they wanted Nash, but getting Kid was a nice move. And then, uh, and, so, and you know, and, and so you don't really feel like they did, like, a terrible job adding pieces. Mm-hmm. But then when you... So you have to wonder... You know, with some of the comments that J.R. Smith made and Carmelo, and Carmelo walked back his comments a little bit. Not that anyone will ever remember. <laughs> I don't even remember that Carmelo said. I actually want Lynn back. He actually said that as a quote. I want Jeremy Lynn on the team. I hope they get it worked out. No one will ever remember that. And in a lot of ways, Carmelo's kind of made his own bed with that. You know, he's clearly like... Clearly, the players on the team are players that work well with Carmelo because Carmelo is the center of the team. So they better win because, like, if, if Carmelo was ever not a flashpoint enough already for for Knicks fans, right. he certainly he certainly will be now. But yeah, you know, the idea. I, I guess I understand that in the idea that that players tend to have a lot that like, hey, we we've earned this money, and this guy has not earned this in a lot of ways. You see that with rookies. You see that with. You know, you see, you see that in all sports, frankly. The idea that, like, like uh, um, once players make it into the league, they want to make it harder on people that haven't done as much as they have. But, but meanwhile, you know, I, it, so I, it, it's it's very similar to the way that uh, I, you know, when 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 we work in media, we're like, oh, I can't believe these kids. What are they doing with their, right, right. With their and so on? Like, I think that once you actually establish a little bit, you have less patience for those that are coming up. So I can see that, but like, honestly, it was certainly very bizarre to see NBA players complaining about other NBA players, how much money they were making. Uh, and, I, and you wonder how much the Players Association, and particularly, like, you know, I mean, the Players Association fought so hard for the, for, for the bird rights and for the poison pill stuff. Like, this is stuff that they fought for, and now you've got players complaining that, like, oh, no, we don't want to work for people like him. We want to work for people like us. Well, this seems like, to me, um, a case where we're always asking franchises to make shrewd basketball decisions you know like joe johnson doesn't get a 126 million dollar contract from the hawks if they make a calculated decision and say in a couple years this contract's going to be completely out of whack to me jeremy lynn's i've never objected to the contract i'm like 25 million dollars for a franchise that gave jerome james 30 million dollars that is that is pennies come on you know that's pennies (laughs) so i i like the idea of the knicks making this tough choice i just think this is probably not the right time to take this stand if or, it's just a basketball the, or decision. Or not the right player. Yeah, yeah not the right player. guy to do it again. Yeah, and, you know, and, and that's that's what's so crazy about it. Like, you guys know how rosters are constructed. It's so hard. Like, like if you look now, now that they've let Lynn go – like they're not, they they're going to be adding veteran, nothing but veteran minimum salaries, yeah. and then their one draft pick of the next three years, I think they have, 
<laughs> but that's going to be it for the next three years. <laughs> There's no their max up. I think they have like like a mid-level exemption for three million starting next year for two years. Like there's, that's it. This is the team. This team right now. One, the Knicks believe to be a serious challenger to the Heat. I'm not sure. I necessarily <laughs> believe that, but they certainly do. And I and and the idea that they're going to be older next year and older the year after that. You know, they're going all in. I think that's what's most bewildering about this from a basketball sense. Forgetting the fact, like uh, even if Lynn. If Jeremy Lin is not the global phenomenon that he is, and is not this incredibly popular player among fans, putting that even aside, the idea that you would just let this up and coming player go to take a stand on this on this guy <laughs> on, on, on one of your actual young players, it's it's pretty bewildering for nothing. Like again, like this is not this it, it costs you nothing in actual talent. I think that's that's what's very bewildering. The other thing to me that that's sort of interesting about this, and you know, maybe you've noticed noticed this too, Will, being here in New York, is that you know, last season when Lynn Sanity kind of happened, it, he became like the most I don't know the, the correct way to say that he, he united Knicks fans like no one I've ever seen in the last decade since I've been here. Um, and it's funny now that he he's become such a divisive <laughs> figure. You know, he went from being the most uniting figure to maybe the most dividing figure in the last week here. Uh, and I do, it's interesting to me to see, you know, there's there's people today posting all these things about how they're going to start cheering for the Nets now. <laughs> they're done with the Knicks. It's, yeah. it's, it's interesting to me to see that Lynn went from being this guy that saved the Knicks season last year to being this guy who now is basically tearing the fans apart. Yeah, well, certainly. I, I, I might make the argument that, that I think the reason that he's so divisive now is – now we're like, oh, man, I guess he did work for Dolan, didn't he? But I think like, like everyone's been reminded, oh, right. Like, remember when Donnie Walsh was running the team and him and Dan Tony were fixing all the problems that Isaiah had caused? And Dolan finally was like, you know what? I'll let you guys take a couple years and fix it. And then they did. And he's like, okay, mine, mine, give me, give me. And, and I think that, you know, I think that's really the, 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 the major issue in a lot of ways. So I think that, you know, certainly that was, but I think that's why he was so uniting because you just forgot that this was the Knicks. Yeah. <laughs> like you forgot that there was this friend, there was this friend, there was this wonderful story that, that, that people were all like, wow, this is something that there's actually nothing negative about this. There's actually, there's no, oh, well, I can't believe we're stuck with this contract for the next four years or so on. There was no negative thing. And I think as with all fairy tales, inevitably, you know, inevitably Prince Charming wants money. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that uh, uh, I, quite reasonably, it's very strange to see I mean, it was very strange to see, as we said, about players not wanting uh, other players to make money. It's still a very strange thing, the idea that that uh, that, Jer- that everyone talks about how much Jeremy Lin, how popular he is, how much money he's making for everyone, but no one seems, they seem to be mad at him when he wants to make it for himself. I always find that a strange thing, that generally with players and, and owners. I, I'm actually, and, you know, we started out, Will, where Lang was kind of arguing one side, and I was saying, hey, this, you know, this isn't the end of the world. I, I said it then, and I'm going to say it again. I absolutely love this for Jeremy Lin. This is a triumph of the the underdog in every sense of the word. A dude who's undrafted, overlooked, cut all over the place. Doesn't even he's not even a superstar in the D League. Like he doesn't even get star treatment when he plays in the D League. So him cashing in to me is the silver lining in this thing for anybody who cares about the American dream, the belief in hard work. You know, paying off no matter what. I mean, he still embodies all that stuff. It's just he's not going to do it in New York anymore. He has to do it in Houston now. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And for the record, you know, for all this talk, this is such a good deal for the Rockets. They don't have to pay that luxury tax. Exactly. <laughs> like they're, not, they're not the ones stuck with that. They're, I think I think it even evens out. Uh, each year, they don't have that third year poison pill. That right, they have to right. Deal with. They actually get all the way through. It's such a good deal for them. I mean, it would have been cr- like like people talk about like this is such a smart move by Maury. Forgetting what happens with Howard, which I think there's you know, the, 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 him kind of rolling the dice on that. And hey, you guys want to talk about Dwight Howard some more? We should talk about <laughs> Dwight Howard some more. Um, but uh, it's such a smart deal uh, for for the Rockets that it's it was a no brainer for them to do it. And I think the idea that the Knicks were somehow taken aback and they couldn't believe that that Lynn went back to the Rockets and tried to get more money. What what is going on here? Is this capitalism in New York? You know, it's 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 very strange how it kind of take like, like the idea that the Knicks wanted the spoils of 
this great story, but didn't actually want to want to put up for it. It's certainly not, not to say that you know that. Let's also not forget too the Knicks right now have J.R. Smith at shooting guard, and that's it. <laughs> like guard is the one thing. Guard is the one thing that they need. Like they can't like like they have like forty year old seven footers to spare. There's like a ton of them, <laughs> but 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 they have like no guards. So it's certainly very it's it's a strange thing. Uh, and I and it's funny because you know I, I you talk about the Brooklyn Nets thing. You know I've I've written a lot. I'm working on a, on a larger story for uh, for the magazine, kind of talking about their rollout and, and kind of what they've all been doing and everything. But it's funny like. Because, you know, I, I, I was actually on a radio station in New York in New York this morning, NPR, so I had to use my voice. <laughs> and, uh, and they were having a discussion of should fans go to the Nets. They actually had an open discussion of that. You know, to me, like, I feel like that's something – I'm impressed with what the Nets are doing. I think they've, done, they've been pretty smart about particularly marketing Brooklyn. They've been very intelligent about – like, the lady that cuts my hair says a Nets representative has been in – like, I live in Brooklyn. <laughs> so the lady that cuts my hair says a Nets, Nets representative has been in to see them, like, five times in the last – Two months, wow. and it's not a very big place. So you know, I think that they're, they're really like like carpeting Brooklyn. Yeah, in a lot of ways, like that, they're being very smart about. It. On the other hand, if you're going to switch your fandom, you you really only get to do that once. Like you don't get to like the Nets are putting their best foot forward right now. They are they are really selling themselves the best, and this is a definite low point in the public relations for the Knicks. But still, you can't come back in two years and be like, "Oh man, Joe Johnson, like <laughs> he really fell off a cliff." And uh, okay, okay, we like the Knicks again. Like I feel like if you got to make that decision, you have to you, you have to uh, make it and stick with it. Yeah. Well, one last thing, Will the the ticket for the Rockets Knicks game at Madison Square Garden. Two things. How much do you think that ticket goes for when Jeremy Lin makes his triumphant return to Madison Square Garden? And does Jim Dolan show up and sit courtside for that game? Or does he stay clear of the building worried about what kind of boo it might go on? If if his face gets on the jumbotron. Well, first off, they know better than to put Dolan's face on the jumbotron. <laughs> they have learned that lesson before. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, he usually kind of slinks in and out of the building anyway. I was actually discussing with one of my coworkers in New York who who covers hockey for us, and we, we were discussing like, well, what would ever happen? It was after the, uh, the the Chris Mullen Golden State Warriors thing when the owner got booed, and we were discussing like, what would happen if they actually announced and now Jim Dolan at the Garden, like, <laughs> still even with the renovations. It's still standing after it was over. Could they, <laughs> did, did people bring enough vegetables with them to be tossed? At? Like, like he would never dare. He's never introduced. He's this weird you know, ethereal presence that kind of haunts the place. So I, I don't. I, he wouldn't be on the jumbotron anyway. <laughs> but uh, but certainly, you know, I think that uh, it's it'll be a big deal. It will be a big deal. And I think that like hopefully it'll happen. It's but the schedule isn't out yet. Like you'll wonder like. Wait, they're not going to make this the Christmas Day, are they? <laughs> <laughs> you wonder how much the NBA. Uh, I mean, you, I know you guys know better than me. I mean, talk to the scheduling guys. They're just on the office, right? Just on the home. Um, but uh, I, I have to say, you would have to think that that's that's a game that's going to be pretty highly marketed by the NBA, and you wonder if that could even be like a signature game because Jeremy Lin's return to the Garden, I think, will be a pretty exciting thing. And you you hope it happens early in the year, so that everyone everyone's still uh, healthy on top of their games. Right. Um, Will, thanks for taking the time. Will Leach, New York Magazine. You can check him out on Twitter and all over the internet. Will, thank you, sir. Thank you, man. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right, man. I think uh, I think we have pretty much exhausted every bit of our energy on these two topics today and lang is it not crazy that the two guys who made the biggest headlines with much respect to darren williams and lebron james winning this championship this year but we you know dwight howard's training camp trade request and jeremy lynn doing lynn sanity and now leaving you know, New York for Houston. To me, if we go back in five years and look back the season, it, right after LeBron winning that first ring, those are the two stories that we'll be talking about, you know, from this from this wild and wacky lockout-shortened, compressed <laughs> NBA season. Those three things, to me, will be the three first bullet points under 2012, you know, 11-2012 NBA season. So I'm – all we got to do now is figure out somewhere for Dwight to go before uh, the next Hangtime podcast, and we can get this thing wrapped up. <laughs> well, you're you're taking off for uh, for London uh, this next week, right? Yeah, if, uh, if they let me through customs, 
Um, <laughs> otherwise, I might end up like somewhere, <laughs> somewhere take, in between. Don't take your shoes off on the <laughs> yeah, flight. Exactly. But yeah, I'm going over to uh, to cover the Olympics and uh, see if the gold medal chase ends in uh, the way the the U.S. Uh, men's senior national team expects with gold medals for you know uh, another gold medal for LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony, Kobe Bryant, those guys. A first Olympic gold medal for Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook. Those new new faces on the national team. So we'll see. Um, it's going to be an interesting challenge. They don't have the the front court firepower that they that they had in in Beijing, you know, without the aforementioned Dwight Howard, Chris Bosh, uh, no Dwayne Wade, no Derrick Rose, obviously. So it's going to be a going to be a challenge for them over there. But I'm looking forward to it. Um, unfortunately, you know, we're going to have to take a break next week um, as as I'm getting over there early next week and getting settled and getting getting my uh, my tube routes down so I know where I'm going every day. <laughs> Um, cause I've been to London before, obviously, but I'm, I gotta, I have to rework my maps when I get over this time. I'm staying in a totally different place and going to be traipsing around, but it's going to be fun. Um, TNT's David Aldridge will be over there as well. And, uh, be bringing everybody, all the information and action from the Olympic games. So you, are you going to, you just going to sit on the couch and watch, uh, playbacks of summer league games while uh, the Olympics are going on? Or are you actually going to watch the games? I want to watch the Olympics. And I, and <laughs> I'm actually kind of. Looking forward to it because of the time difference. There's going to be live stuff on all day long. Yeah. You know, like during the daytime here. Mm-hmm. And then at night, I guess they'll replay stuff. But um, since I work from home, I can just sit here and, and watch live all day long. So I'm kind of looking forward to it. You got it, man. Um, and, and not just the basketball. I like watching all the other stuff, too. Stuff you never really see on TV, like the, uh, you know, the, the table tennis and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it should be interesting. I mean, it should be a. Uh... Uh, you know, there's like you said, there's so many other sports involved um, as well. But I'm I'm this is a this is a very intriguing time for uh, USA basketball because they have kind of the 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 recent past, the present, and the future of the program all in rolled up into one on this team. So it'll be interesting to see who who kind of takes the lead. Whether this is LeBron's time to really set himself apart and lead this team or you know, do you let Kobe be the leader of this team or is Kevin Durant coming into his own and might he lead the team to score? It's, it's, I mean, storylines abound, of course. Not that there will be any shortage of storylines here. In fact, I'm expecting to come back from the Olympics in mid-August and Dwight Howard still be, you know, still be on the tip of everybody's tongue and a hot topic about where he might go. So um, yep. we appreciate our guests joining us today on the Hang Time Podcast. Jared Rudolph from Real GM and Will Leach, uh, I believe you called him the what editor emeritus of uh, Deadspin and New York Magazine, and and a guy who's clearly got some some fantastic opinions about uh, this Jeremy Lin situation and what's going on. Talked a lot of Dwight Howard this week. Probably do that some more the next time you hear from us. We appreciate you joining us on the Hang Time Podcast. Make sure you come and hang out with us again. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. Download more episodes of the show. Visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. 